Hi, and welcome back to Castle Run Relay, a Star Wars podcast. Our episodes drop at the beginning of each week, and you can follow us on social media. Our links will be in the description. This week, we have the absolute privilege of interviewing our bestie slash enemy, Ethan Sachs. <laughs> but before that, we are going to do our introductions. So hi, my name is Hayden. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, you can find me on TikTok at taika.ytd and on Twitter and Instagram at mcuytd. And my brainworm of the week is there's there's one and there's a runner-up. Um, so the main one, no, the runner-up is going to be Bale Organs, my <laughs> lovely <laughs> typo that Cam decided to capture because he has my post notifications on. Um, but the winner for Brain Room of the Week this week is Cowboy Balance, brought to you by Bell at esob dot underscore Bell on Twitter. It's stayed in my brain pretty much the entire week. <laughs> Very good drawing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Liv, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Liv. I use she/her pronouns. You can find me on everything at Olivia Mdala. And my brain worm of the week is the newly founded Hayden Struggles Twitter account. Um, I have no idea who runs such an account, but they're <laughs> super funny. They're so funny. So, yeah. Like Gossip Girl, you have to find out yeah. their identity. It's such a mystery. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> em, would you like to go next? Uh, hi, I'm Emily. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. You can find me on TikTok at StardustM and on Twitter and Instagram at underscore StardustM. And my brain room of the week is our first uh, official look at Cassian in his little his little beach outfit. We've had those leaked set photos for years, but then they just threw one in the trailer <laughs> and it's coming, coming. That vest, that, that brown vest is coming. <laughs> Oh, so um, should should I introduce myself? Yes, Ethan. <laughs> okay. Uh, my name is Ethan Sachs. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm an alleged comic book writer. Uh, although legally, Marvel says I'm not allowed to say that I'm an actual comic book writer. And just uh, without signing a waiver. Um, my brain worm of the week is probably the post-credits She-Hulk uh, button. <laughs> The button, so, um, so true. which I won't mention in case there are two people listening that haven't seen it. I will not spoil it. Oh. <laughs> um, this is no spoilers, but I feel like every time a video comes up on my For You page, I'm, le I'm legally obligated to watch it. <laughs> it's, it's definitely, it's, it, that's stuck in my brain too. I haven't, I've only watched the first episode, which I liked very much. Oh, see, um, I'm glad I didn't say anything then. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would, I but don't worry i i've seen it but i won't spoil it for the listeners who haven't um so yes this week is gonna be part one of our valance special for this silly little cyborg man um <laughs> uh and May this he always week, be remembered fondly stop <laughs> you can't stop we are not five minutes into this episode <laughs> Oh man. And I think I think we said we were gonna have um we were gonna still keep the video in some parts just so we could see our reactions. So this it's definitely gonna be posted to our Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um but the <laughs> the 
Okay. <laughs> this week, okay. our first part of our episode is going to be an interview with primarily the person who's given him the most kind of like character and umph in this new Star Wars canon, which is Ethan Sachs. <laughs> oh, there's no video, right? So I'm just yeah. waving into the ether. I'm waving into the ether. You can't see, but I'm waving. Um, so we have a slate of questions, both some that we came up by ourselves and from the listeners. And the first question is going to be number one, how dare you? <laughs> um, I'm asked that question a lot. Uh, you know, not just at work either, uh, which is the odd thing, but um, just I dare because I care. I dare because I care. <laughs> I'm going to stick to that answer. The fact that two separate people came up with that question, I, w- I was pitching the questions <laughs> to Liv, and that was the first that was one mine. that, yeah, it was hers. And then I, I posted it to, I posted the tweet to our Twitter, and then Mac was the one who replied and said, number one, how dare you? And she replied with the gif <laughs> from the office. So it's like, it's like a hive mind in here. <laughs> We're all just outraged. By I, uh, I'm, I am a bit cruel to the character sometimes, I will admit that. We know. A, 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 a bit. Spoiler. A bit. Spoiler. <laughs> <sighs> so the first actual question in our silly little interview is going to be, tell us your Star Wars origin story. We like to talk on this podcast. Um, our very first episode, we started off by telling our Star Wars yes. origin stories, and we thought it would be awesome to have creators tell theirs. So... Uh, yeah, so my origin story was I'm old enough that I saw the original A New Hope in uh, a Times Square theater in the late summer of 1977. I was four years old and my dad took me and the memory is so vivid um, that like I can close my eyes and still remember what it was like to see that Star Destroyer, you know, come overhead the first time and the the fanfare and all that. And it it's my father died in 1995. And the memory is so vivid, it's like he's next to me. And I've told that story um, because for a long time, I was a movies journalist uh, for the New York Daily News. And I got to interview George Lucas and Mark Hamill and, uh, and Carrie Fisher. And I got to tell them all that story. And also I have uh, my only remaining original action figure which is uh, the Athorian, uh, this is packaged as Hammerhead <laughs> from the cantina. And the reason why is my mom had garage sale sold all my other action figures and no one bought him. <laughs> no one bought this. <laughs> so when I had those interviews, I, I had him in my coat pocket. Uh, and I, I actually showed Mark Hamill. Uh, yeah, Aww. George Lucas was a little creeped out by the whole, I told him the story about my father and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so he made it awkward. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, Carrie Fisher was touched and Mark Hamill went on a 12 minute non sequitur right afterwards. So I kind of feel like it's pretty indicative of all their personalities. <laughs> yeah. So that was a long answer, but the shortest version is I was four years old, saw it in a theater. <laughs> but it changed my life, changed the trajectory of my life. Mm. So. Um, I don't know if, ugh, I don't know. Okay, so I can't hear anything. Everything keeps getting cut out. It, so I want to try and It was switch. a great answer. It was a fantastic it was. answer. It was so <laughs> insightful and I heard bits and pieces, I promise. <laughs> Let us all remember Hayden fondly. <laughs> like Valance. <laughs> like 
they were mad at me the other week because they said something they're like so valance is alive and i go for now yeah. <laughs> they got mad at me. wait do you think do you think hayden is still on and doing no. a very good mime like a very good mime impression or do you think she was off and was just frozen because <laughs> that would be a that would be a great prank if she was actually not on and just like like holding herself Frozen. in place like in a tableau yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay um right. i think okay everything is good now okay excellent um, okay. yeah <laughs> um so yes that by the way that was a lovely answer <laughs> I, I promise I, I was listening and i did hear bits and pieces um so continuing on um so after your store's origin story, and you mentioned this in your previous answer, but you were primarily an entertainment journalist before becoming mm -hmm. a full-time comic book writer. So what was that transition kind of like, and how was it transitioning from journalistic and creative writing to just creative writing, and what pushed you to finally make that change? Well, funnily enough, the origin, the not-so-secret origin story uh, involves Star Wars again. Um, in 2000, well, first of all, for many years of the New York Daily News, I had what was called the Geek Beat. By the way, can you hear me okay? It's not cutting in yes. and out or? Okay. Yes. Um, it, basically the Geek Beat was what it sounds like. It was comic books and the Game of Thrones, The Walking Dead, Star Wars, you know, Marvel movies, the whole run of, of, of gamut of really cool stuff. And um, I had become friends with Joe Quesada pretty much from, from 2001. On. I knew him, you know, first as a source, then as a friend. Um, but unrelated to that, on May May the for May the fourth, two thousand sixteen, for the you know internet holiday, if you will, uh, for the Daily News, I did an interview with Paul Blake, who was the actor who played Greedo. He died shortly after that, unrelated to the interview. But um, he was so funny. He was so funny, and I remember asking him, "Does it bother you that whole generations think?" that um, somehow Greedo shot first and missed across this table. Like literally you're the, you play the lamest character in the Star Wars mythos. And he had this whole like stand-up comedy routine basically of like Greedo with those myopic eyes. Um, you know, it should have been a flower ranger. It just, I'm not doing it justice, but he was so funny. So I left that interview thinking like it would be a really cool story and I don't know how many of you know um, Rashomon, a kind of famous Japanese movie by Kurosawa based on a Japanese novel. And it's basically set in feudal Japan where there's a murder and there's four different accounts, including the ghost is the fourth account. And each of them are very different. And so it's just, you know, basically who do you trust? Which version do you trust? And I thought that would be great for the, for the Greedo killing, you know, basically have a murder investigation into and all these witnesses see something different you know han shot first greeter shot first something else whatever so it stuck in my mind and i went to a mets game with with joe casada who was uh, uh chief creative officer of marvel at the time no longer editor in chief and uh, i was like hey i have this idea i think it's funny would you consider a spec script if you publish it i'll donate the money to charity because there's no like conflict of interest um i just think it's there's an idea here and he's like fine whatever like not encouraging at all and so <laughs> I'd never written a comic script I basically uh reverse engineered the scripts that I liked about like structure and you know pacing and um because I 
I had done Star Wars movie coverage. I knew like the publicist at Lucasfilm. So I asked, uh, Lynn Hale was her name. I asked her to put me in touch with the, uh, with story group. Um, and somebody at story group, like basically answered some of my questions. So like the first thing was basically, um, Han can't shoot first. Like that's not what George wanted. And so that's canon no matter what, you know. So then I just made it, like I came up with a solution um, and, and I sent it in. I don't hear anything back for like, oh, and the other thing I had was the, the homicide cop was played by Kitster, uh, was, was <laughs> Kitster, uh, Anakin's childhood friend. And the reason I picked him was because in the deleted scene of Phantom Menace, Anakin is, is like pounding Greedo, baby Greedo, uh, like they're in a fist fight because Greedo called him uh, a liar or cheat or something like that. And, and that so Kitster scene. is there. So I figured they were all childhood friends. And, um, and that would be the only reason that anyone investigated the murder at Moss Eisley where literally they don't, they don't stop the music for more than like eight seconds when there's a murder. <laughs> so why would they even investigate one? Well, this is personal for him. So, so I did this whole script didn't hear anything for months. So I'm like, all right, well, he must have really hated it. Uh, <laughs> then we were flying back. We went to Japan. Uh, my wife's Japanese, so we're visiting uh, my in-laws. And we land on September 7, 2016. We land back at JFK in New York. I turn on my phone, and there was the email that changed my life. Um, and I believe the subject line was something like F Greedo. <laughs> I, won't, I won't spell it out. That was literally the subject line. So I was like, wow, he must have really hated it. But the, the content was F Greedo, you can actually write uh, comic books. And I'm kind of pissed that this is the way I found out like 20 years into our friendship because I think you, you can and should be doing this for a living. And so literally, um, coincidentally, like a month or two later, they were offering buyouts at the newspaper I was at. So because I'd been there 20 years, like my entire career from when I was like 22 years old. Um, and, and basically, like, uh, I was able to do a career change because of that. So I got like seven months pay. And I just started at Marvel doing my first big one was Old Man Hawkeye. So he forwarded to Axel Lonzo, who was then editor in chief. And basically, I sort of had the slow start too changing so that's anyway so star wars was directly involved they ended up not being allowed to publish that script lucasfilm uh, apparently liked it but there was a canon related reason i don't know what it was but uh so all right that was it not involved with star wars anymore you know uh and then i did um a uh, silver surfer annual and i was recruited by this young editor by the name of thomas Groneman, who was the assistant editor uh, at the time in the Star Wars line. So that Silver Surfer annual was like such a pleasant experience for all of us involved. It was so smooth that he eventually brought me into Star Wars. So that's, and that was like the very first, which no one can see me pointing, but I have a <laughs> page uh, from my Mace Windu story, which was my very first uh, Star Wars story um, called The Weapon. So yeah, uh, but coincidentally, coincidentally, I was working with Paolo Villanelli at the same on that one, not knowing that we would be, you know, basically married a few years later. <laughs> oh, we are big Paolo Villanelli fans on this yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> still still have. His oh my god, as he's so much fun saver. to work with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he he's got a gift for he's got many gifts, but like among them, <laughs> no one can make a two dimensional 
uh, piece of art look like it's moving Truly. like he can. Like there's just this kinetic energy to his scenes that are just stunning. Like there's one, I think it's an issue 10 where it's it's an X-wing uh, that that balance is flying and it's it's sort of banking and just the way, the angle, the the exhaust, everything, it really feels like mm-hmm. it's coming sort of at you. Uh, but anyway, that's that a- whole, Yeah, I love that whole little mini arc of balance on the X-wing. I It was my profile picture for like three months. I think I've been, I'm really bad at changing my profile pictures. Um, but I have, I remember... I have my original cave painting uh, from <laughs> thousands of years ago on my Facebook. So there you go. I remember reading your, um, your story in the age of Republic special one shot. And I got to, because your story is the first one. I remember um, like turning the page. Cause I, I read my comics on Marvel limited. So I like turned the page and I was like, Oh, this is, this is Paolo art. And, I'm kind of an expert in Palo art. Uh, oh, so even so, back then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, flipped back to the um, to the cover, and I was like, "Oh, he did this!" And that's why it was so good. It, oh, it was my it was you. my favorite. <laughs> it was oh, my favorite you. story out of that little one shot. Um, I well, my follow up question was gonna be: If you got the chance, would you like to? Because now that Kister's back into the greater <laughs> canon in Darth Vader. Um, would you, would you want to try and do that story again? I mean, I know you said you couldn't publish it. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. I mean, it, it, it certainly, um, changed my life. Like, I don't know that it, it, it's not necessarily my untold masterpiece that, you know, (laughs) on my deathbed, I'll say, please, it's like this crunched up piece of paper, publish this. Um, and and if I do say that, I've probably like deep in dementia or something, so... (laughs) Either way, it's not high on my list right now. <laughs> Would you well, still want to write like Kitster or uh, again? In not not particularly. Story? Like to be honest, it was just a means to an end for that story. <laughs> I just like the idea because I saw Han shoot first <laughs> when I was four years old. So I liked I liked this idea of no one being able to agree on what happened there, just to play with the whole, you know sort of fandom controversy over who shot first <laughs> even though it is canon that, that Greedo shot, shot first, first. Oh. no like oh. well, like Greedo shot first. oh careful like don't move their death star to fire on orlando uh yeah so just well they'd, they'd still be a couple hundred miles away so i'm still safe <laughs> okay well they're not taking any chances they'll wipe out the eastern seaboard uh, oh my god if, if you say han shot first <laughs> uh, well speaking of future projects you have a new series from marvel midnight sun's coming out in two weeks um, and the original, in the original announcement article from marvel.com, you mentioned that working on the Bounty Hunters title mm. helped you fall in love with the team slash ensemble book dynamic. Um, so how will the team dynamic of the Midnight Suns be different and similar between the two groups of unlikely heroes? Basically like the Suicide Squad, if you will. Yeah, I can't, I can't uh, kill anybody in Midnight Suns, unfortunately, <laughs> because they belong to other, so... That already makes it different than bounty hunters. Uh, no, um, oh no. God. God. <laughs> no, but in in all seriousness, you know, I think in the case of Midnight Suns, it, some of these characters are 
so established. You know, I'm not going to tread any new ground, I think, on Wolverine, but I can have fun with some of the uh, characters that are maybe a little less known. Um, it's interesting to do that group dynamic with characters that are sort of all over the place. You know, like uh, you have Magic and you have Spirit Rider and Blade, and they don't necessarily have a, like a long history together, but they, uh, it's kind of fun. There's, there's a lot of layers to that book. <laughs> Uh, and it kept adding layers um, without giving anything away. So I feel like there are times we, we're not with that ensemble group, but we're with other characters without going into detail. So it's, it's um, there's like a mystery at the center of it that takes us in different directions at different times. I, for I feel one, like I've answered nothing of the no, question. It's fine. But th this one is so is so dangerous with spoilers that like yeah you know you have to be a politician about it. I, I it have vague. to be very careful. Yeah, very vague. I no no I'm... balance was harmed in the making of Midnight Sun. In, so, in that in that so, series, rest it's assured, because he's already gone. Totally, Galaxy. A long time ago, yeah. So. <laughs> This this podcast is about to become two hosts instead of three. But <laughs> um, well, you've mentioned before that you've grown up with the original Marvel Star Wars one, Star Wars Volume One. Um, so obviously that means you grew up with Valance the Hunter. So what it what has it been like being able to shape the majority of Valance's character in the new canon? Well, so I did not love Valance in the original run when I was a kid because he was sort of a villain, really yeah. <laughs> angry and mean and cruel to droids. Like that was his character that he hated mm. droids. That was literally- It's like OG like, and oh, Dune. What are your so hobbies? So true. <laughs> like, what are your hobbies? I like to take long walks on the beach and kill droids. You know, it's like, that was his character. <laughs> so I felt like I liked R2-D2 and C-3PO. I was like, you know, whatever I was five or six or, or whatever I was. And um, it just was not, not a character. I, I vaguely remember him. I remember he looked scary. He's kind of mean. And he sort of redeemed himself at the end, but I still didn't like him. Um, fast forward all these years later, I, I always thought he had a cool look. Um, but I, you know, uh, when it was first pitched to me to do a Bounty Hunter series, the idea was to make Valance the sort of front and center of the book, but also have the Empire Strikes Back uh, Bounty Hunters. And I think the original idea was to make Valance more like an action hero, like more like a um, like a Punisher type badass that just goes through and collects bounties and kills people. And I didn't I didn't love that idea. Like I didn't I just couldn't find my way in. And like, I, you know, I looked at him and I was like, you know what? I would like to tell I would like to tell the story of this person who was like horribly damaged and he's put himself back together physically but is still working on it inside. You know what I mean? That would, to me, like once I figured that out, I fell in love with the character. And like, I fell in love with that aspect of this character. It's like, he keeps trying to make himself better. And so like, to me, that's what I love about him. You know, he, like he, he, <laughs> he gets knocked down more often than he doesn't, but, uh, but you know, he keeps trying and he's trying to, you know, and he's also becoming a better person as he becomes less of a person. Um, <laughs> you know, like he was a, in Cadet Solo, he was a bit of a jerk. And then, you a, know, a, he's, bit. a little he's, bit. He's humbled because, you know, I think reading a lot of like the great work um, that other writers have done with him is like, 
he had his mindset on achieving this high level of thing and you know then coming back for Euron and all this kind of stuff and every other jerk is in his way including solo like they're in his way of what he wants to achieve and so there are threats to him in the beginning and then he realizes he can't just be this loner that just sort of forges his way through and he needs other people even though he's still kind of a loner but for different reasons you know yeah uh, so yeah so i really liked that about him um you know there were certain things i had never written an ongoing before so i like i didn't necessarily fully like i had long-term plans and some of which we haven't even gotten to yet but a lot of which we have i just didn't know like how long it would take for some of these things to happen so like i feel like looking back like that first arc is really rushed um i probably would do it a little differently now but uh you know because we're trying to cram in all these other characters and uh created some new ones and things like that so i i personally really like that first arc it's always my it's one of my go-tos whenever mm. people tell me like where the hell do i start with star wars comics because you know i kind of never shut up about them um i always say read the first arc yeah i mean it's got your heavy hitters i mean it's got boba fett it's got um it's got basic just basic bounty hunting i it's just chef's kisses all around i have like three or four different covers of number mm. one which I had to catalog all of my bounty hunter stuff the past two days and Liv has seen the pictures. It's, it's a little concerning <laughs> to lot. be honest. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also just like getting duplicates for no reason other than to just get duplicates, which is why I have four <laughs> copies of the main cover of bounty hunter 17. <laughs> And they're all just and why you have 12 andor posters. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I I got stressed out because I <laughs> I got out of the andor screening and I took five. And then I said, Oh, can I take more of these? Because I, I knew people wouldn't be able to get them because they wouldn't give them out at some theaters. So then I went back and took seven more, and now they're just kind of laid out on my floor <laughs> in my bedroom, just waiting to be I, sent I out. I think that's technically not a poster at this point, but wallpaper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's <12 posters>. It's <laughs> called the plural is called wallpaper wallpaper <laughs> i we're gonna have like three up in my apartment back at school like one in every single room yeah she was like well i figured you could use multiple emily and i was like i already have multiple posters of cassie and i do not need <laughs> multiple of the same <laughs> she's gonna be breaking into other people's rooms and posting <laughs> sneaking in in the middle of the night and sticking them on the wall it's just in the hallway of your dorm, like on the <laughs> elevator, like you're advertising something. She's advertising Andor. Yeah. For yeah. the word. <laughs> Who, like, is there a watch party for this? No, I just want to make sure you guys knew. Well, Andor coming. <laughs> I mean, so uh, you just got me started on a tangent. I We also like tangents on this podcast, but I have a Star Wars club at my, my school, of which I am. Uh, uh, member College of the Jedi name? Council. Huh? You said high school. Oh. <laughs> College. University. Sorry, I've been thinking a lot, a lot about high school. Lately. Um, but I'm a member of the Jedi Council, which is basically like the officers. And we try to do... Um, we, we can't legally show 
like we tried to do screenings of the book of boba fett and kenobi but we can't legally show it and licensing is super expensive so this is all a joke by the way for legal reasons but we may or may (laughs) not have snuck into one of the auditoriums well i was at celebration but my other officers so you have an alibi yeah i have an alibi and i got to (laughs) i i watched it legally in in the the convention center but they may or may not have snuck into our dorm is like a it's like a residential living community thing so there's like dorms restaurants and then like two giant auditoriums so they may or may not have snuck into one of the auditoriums uh plugged in the computer and projected kenobi (laughs) on the (laughs) on one of the big projector screens in there so i was not a part of that i'm simply making this up but neither was I. I was at celebration as well. Yeah. <laughs> we all were. We all were. Yeah. yeah. We we all have our Wait, was Emily, well. you were at celebration as well, right? I met you at celebration. Yes. No, I'm just yes. saying you have to just say it out loud. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were like, you were there. I was <laughs> no, no one no one can see you nod. Uh yes, I was. For legal reasons, all four of us were all four in of fact, us were in Anaheim. We're in Anaheim and at the time. For legal reasons, Liv Hay and I are eyewitnesses to each other (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) so after that totally legal tangent um after your history with that was all hypothetical (laughs) yeah all hypothetical totally didn't happen um after your history with star wars and it being your introduction into comics and serialized storytelling what was it you already talked about this a little bit but what was it like getting the news that you were finally able to contribute to it with your story the weapon in the age of uh, age of republic special it was it was pretty emotional like you know i'm somebody who at this point at that point i've you know been working for like 25 plus about 25 years or so and um you know i had a lot published i met a lot of famous people i had all these like sort of career experiences but for whatever reason getting those first pages in my email were just especially the the one behind me was especially moving it's it's like this virtual splash page of i don't know if you can see it which obviously the uh, listeners can't see it but it's mace windu fighting this character that i created and so it was just kind of like um it was really emotional for me like that was just one of the coolest things ever to have something that was in your mind and it being recreated in this killer art. It's just, it's just really hard to describe. It was, I was very emotional when I got it, especially that page, mm-hmm. which is why I have it framed, <laughs> which no uh, one else can see, but yeah, <laughs> it's there. Uh, so how did you formulate your story in Empire Ascendant? And did you know where you were gonna take bounty hunters when you did? Actually, Bounty Hunters was very much a work in progress with the conversations that we were having. So like, the interesting thing is, I don't think we we ruined anything canonically that came later, but like, Valance is a bit standoffish to Han Solo, considering how much he later feels guilty. <laughs> so, um, and then this, you know, this happens before Bounty Hunters won, right? Like this mm-hmm. is, um so I think like probably that's a little weird like he's just maybe he's just in a bad mood that day uh but yeah I wanted to find a story that showed two things I wanted to show basically who Valance was so physically he's this um very formidable fighter that like literally is you know saving this guy before he actually kills him 
Um, but sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there was that, but there was also the show that he had this code and that he wasn't just somebody who was a mer true mercenary. Like he had this, and it was a code that he didn't really feel like he belonged in the empire or the rebellion, that he was sort of, like that was something I loved about, um, I wouldn't say there's a lot of John Constantine in this character at all, but I love that about the original comic book, John Constantine is like, he's just as likely to give a middle finger to the, to God as to the devil. Like he just walks in between and does not really feel like a part of either. So I kind of felt like the same thing with balance with the rebellion and the empire. He's just like, he just thinks they're all like, you know, basically sending people to die for some cause and like not caring, caring about, you know, any of it, which is a fair, you know, thing, especially considering his experience. Mm -hmm. And I really like how it showed both sides of him. It's uh, of course the, like, it's literally. called two sides. <laughs> Maybe, but like the human the, side, the human side and the, uh, and the damage. The, the cyborgified yeah. side. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you know, Liv and I went to Galaxy's Edge a couple weeks yes. ago for our birthday. And we, I was, we were sitting in line for Rise of the Resistance the very first time, which only took like 40 minutes, by the way. Mm -hmm. And we were, I was reading, I was rereading the Galaxy's Edge uh, miniseries because I hadn't read it in like a year or two. Um, but you also have the Halcyon Legacy, which just finished up its run at the beginning of August. So what is it like being able to, to be a part of the vastly intricate storytelling of the Disney Spark, Disney Parks, and knowing your stories are a permanent part of the parks. That has been uh, an incredible experience. Um, with Galaxy's Edge, it was really interesting because we got the assignment before the park was actually finished. And so they gave us this, we had to take like a lesson in, in like classified corporate information so that we could look at, they had a 168 page creative Bible that was amazing. <laughs> it had all these like character sketches and like maps and schematics. And, and like, so even though we didn't see the actual park, like we really got a, a sense of the flavor. And then I don't know if you remember, but the very first issue, there's like a page and there's this character sort of like talking to a pickpocket or whatever. And he looks up and then there's a two page splash that has the entire um, Black Spire outpost that it's supposed to be an exact replica of the park uh, with an Imperial shuttle flying over it. And I was like, Will, Will Slaney was the artist. Was like, we have to show, this is gonna be people's first chance to actually see this well before the park opens. So we got to like, let's make go big on this two, three. And he was so upset with me because like it didn't exist at this point. So he had to, <laughs> he had to kind of draw it and hope it was pretty close to what it was supposed to be. And then if someone bought it after the park opened and it was wrong, it's obviously wrong. Like it's not, you know, I could fudge things in the dialogue or whatever, but you can't really do that with the art. So uh, I think in theory, it was a good idea. Um, but uh yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it it was a it was a lot of fun, and it's pretty amazing. It's funny because like one of the items, um, this statue that they find on Jetta, one of the, there's it's basically, they there are several of these relics or artifacts that end up in Doc Ondor's store that are sort of important in the in this miniseries, 
And one of them is just one I made up, it was not in the store, it was not a, like a, a thing. And then I went back a few months later and they had it, <laughs> they created it because it was missing. Wow. So yeah, so if you go there, I'm sure it's probably still there. There's like a green statue. And it's like, no one told me. If it was the green statue. So like, no one told me that they were going to do it. I just was like, (laughs) oh, I need something that would reflect the, you know, and and have a cool reason. There are some characters that that I wanted to to have in that, in that chapter. So they just added it. They created it to have in the store. So they would be completists. Uh, So that was, that was a weird experience. Another one is like on the Halcyon Legacy, they named a drink after uh, this sequence in, in the Halcyon Legacy. I think it's called a nebula or something like that. So, um, you know, that's how I'm contributing to canon. It's like an alcoholic drink is named after <laughs> something I made. Good com- still, still waiting for the live action shows and the, uh, you know, the, the Tonga and Mosha, uh, you know, movie trilogy yes. and, and the so action true. figures. Uh, but for now I have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> When Liv and I were walking around, we were trying to do the bounty hunters thing, but it wasn't working and it was really hot. So we only did one and then we gave up. Um, we kept on pointing to all like the blaster marks and I was like, sick balance reference. So like, <laughs> oh, God, that's for balance. <laughs> <laughs> and I was talking to a couple people before and they were like, oh, you know, Thrawn was there too. I was like, yes, I've read Thrawn Alliances. <laughs> However, it's more recent. So technically this could be that. And also probably... Thrawn can actually hit something. So like Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> so I mean it missed, Balance was a, wall, a stormtrooper. It's so <laughs> Yeah, it's Balance or a stormtrooper. That's <laughs> we have a we took a selfie with the Sarlacc uh the oh, the baby Sarlacc, like, yeah. yeah. And I've been forgetting to post it on Twitter, but we we took a selfie with that. And I think I also took a picture of the green statue. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So um, it's, it's just pictures that, I've forgotten to post. <laughs> so this is a story I probably shouldn't tell, but um, originally, like, you know, they told me there'd be a baby Sarlacc and I was just picking to see like what items uh, I would have in this series. And I was like, oh, that, that'd be perfect. Cause like I could have Han and Chewie like trying to wrangle it. And I was thinking it was like the size of a great white shark. Um, Cause you know, Sarlaccs are big. And yeah. so I wrote this whole script where they're being chased around by this baby sarlacc and then they're like i get the notes back from because i'm like no actually it's it's like this big and they they showed i'm like oh my god this is not scary to be chased by this thing it's you know like, <laughs> like i don't know how to chicken. make it work yeah yeah so i had to sort of rework it a little bit i still don't know if it landed as well um because i thought it was this menacing like giant literally i was picturing a a great white shark size you know thing but yeah alas (laughs) um you've been able to share some of the characters that you've written slash created with the rest of the trifecta that have that make up the chatty authors trinity (laughs) daniel jose older (laughs) and lovely and the lovely Alyssa wong yes primarily zuckus and for lom bukora and death stick um so how have their contributions to their characters informed how you write them going forth like i'm particularly interested in bukora bukora i think literally um i think Alyssa, uh like what they did with with bukora is like took it because to be completely honest 
Vakor was a means to an end. When I was writing her in that first arc, I was not really thinking long-term about an arc for her or anything like that. Um, because again, that first arc, I was really trying to set up so many things and I, I just, I needed a character. Uh, I kind of like the idea, you know, that that she had more to lose um, if this little girl is found out, you know, that because her entire status, which she worked hard for, depends on, you know, she could never be ascend past a certain stage because of this, you know, family name or whatever. So that was it for me. That was all I was thinking. Uh, in fact, originally on the script, she was an alien uh, character, not human. And, uh, and Paolo drew her with this helmet. And so when the helmet came off in, in uh, Afra, uh, she was human. And so we just ran with it because at that point, like, it was never, yeah. Uh, it's almost like improv. If you've ever done improv where you can't contradict something that's mm -hmm. given, you have to roll with it. So that's what we did. And Alyssa made Vakora like so much more of a fun, interesting uh, character. Like, you know, she was always cold, but not, not as three-dimensional. And so from that arc where, where uh, uh, Vakora was in Afra, that made me like, oh, I, I would. So it was kind of like passing this character back and forth. So I always say, I always joke that it's like, she's our daughter. Um, you know, because uh, that's how I think of these characters is they're like our babies. And um, and I know I'm like horrible, like you would call I'm ACS. Call, I, I was literally <laughs> just going to say, I'm going to call CAS. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so like that, that uh, um, definitely. And then, um, you know, Daniel is, is, he's just such a, a veteran, but also just sharing and collaborative. Um, so like, because I was writing uh, Zuckerson for LOM in, in, uh, in the main book, you know, he was like running things by me and we were talking things together and he was so excited he would share artwork. And that's how I became friends with him because Daniel and Alyssa know each other for a long period of time. And then I sort of glommed on later, but um, my favorite memory in, in uh, celebration was literally the three of us just walking in Disney Springs and like sharing like what we we're doing so like, you know, that's how I found out Alyssa was, was, uh, this is not, yeah, uh, I was doing Deadpool and, you know, I was just saying, like, that was announced, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, was, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was like, you know, so, and, and, you know, they were telling us some of the, the stuff in store. So anyway, long-winded, like just, they're great people. The other part of this too is uh, Charles, Greg, and more recently, uh, Mark Guggenheim, like we're, we all do with the editors, with uh, Mark Venezia, Danny, and Mike Basso. And so like we, we do this weekly Zoom call and we, I mean, that's why I think a lot of these like crossovers and stuff are so tight because like we plan together, but also <laughs> some, some of the worst stuff that's going to happen to balance actually did not come from me. <laughs> like, like someone said, Hey, what if you did this to balance? And I'm like, oh my God, what how, what would that look like? And so I'll get the blame for it. Maybe Paolo too, but uh, but it's a fun, it's a fun story, not for balance, but for other people. I <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I I knew that. <laughs>
as as Liv and I would say, maliciously rubbing my hands together. <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy lord. Um <laughs> God. How has being able to write these story for Star Wars affected you? Has it impacted you and or enhanced your love of the franchise? Oh, it, de- it definitely has. Um, I think the coolest part of it too is that everyone I meet affiliated, you know, including Story Group, including like Mike Seglane and Rob Simpson, like the publishing people, including the other authors I've met, like Delilah Dawson. And everyone is so fantastic. Like they're just so... Um, everyone, it's just like, they're exactly who you want them to be there. You know, I, I would assume your experience is the same. Like every time you meet one of these people, uh, they're usually better than I am, but like, they're, they're easygoing, they're they're easygoing. They're, uh, as passionate as you are, they, you know, they know how lucky they are to, to work with this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, and, and also like, I, I think, I know some, some people sometimes have, it can be a little tough when you're, because like, basically you're, you're sort of writing for two sets of editors, essentially, you know, Marvel and Lucasfilm in this case, but I've found it like nothing but helpful, like their suggestions and everything. And it's, um, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not always top down, you know, uh, people barking orders at you or something like that. It's just, um, they're excited. I got yippies and ha ha ha's on, on notes from Lucasfilm. <laughs> like uh, Matt Martin wrote ha 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 t- uh, Tasu when uh, when he rips off his armor to fight <laughs> the Knights of Ren. Um, and I just like, like that's kind of fun because he's having as much fun as I am, you know. So yeah, so that's been great. I gotta say, every time I watch Force Awakens now, and I see I see Tasuli like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing, Jim. I know who that guy is. Tasuli is not the lesbian with pink hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing with 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 uh, Leach, the reason why I, I was so excited about having him was because we realized right around Rise of Skywalker that there are all these great characters, especially in the Force Awakens that are just mm-hmm. essentially cameos, but they have yeah. 30 years of history. And I knew they weren't gonna tell these stories anytime soon. So it was like, it was almost like all the stuff hitting in the public domain. Like we, <laughs> we could use these characters because if we're not interfering. Like the, the trick is like, if you know Mandalorian comes out because we don't know necessarily what is happening there, we have to be very careful because it's like a, like a blank space that we just, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to it's like a Bermuda yeah, Triangle. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like we don't want to mess things up for, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure Lucasfilm would tell us, but at the same time, it's just easier for us as writers to avoid, you know, mm-hmm. uh, any potential things like that. So, um, but those Force Awakened characters, and I was like, you know, I love the raid. Um, and, you know, they had two cameos from the raid there. And I was like, they killed them off in like three minutes <laughs> or something. But like, I would love to know that guy's story. And, uh, <laughs> but the other thing too was tricky with, with him is by the time Force Awakens happens, does not speak basic, refuses to, like mm-hmm. burns his tongue. So I was like, all right, well, what was he like as a teenager? And I like this, he's almost innocent in his <laughs> non-innocence. Um, 
but gradually over time he sort of gets more cynical and so it's kind of i guess tragic in that way uh but for now it's just like he's fun he's so much fun to write Tassu Leach is your great Gatsby. Well, going back to a little bit of your Marvel work, you wrote your daughter into your very first venture of comics in Old Man Mm -hmm. Hawkeye as Old Kate Bishop's top lieutenant. Sorry, spoilers for whoever's reading. Um, I don't know if you can (laughs) legally talk about this, but do you have any plans to maybe no. sprinkle her in no uh star wars i like i don't even try with like things like likenesses or anything like that um but i have like there's some names of characters that have maybe been like one and done or something where i've named after some retailers like um trying to think of an example like Papura hill i think was uh was like a character that was in that that pirate arc that was mm-hmm. sort of like the 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 corrupted uh, rebel leader um mm-hmm. and then there was like blanche sprouse it was also a combination of two different yes. it's just retailers these are store owners have been really kind and so i kind of feel like the local comic shop is the lifeblood of the industry so i put like names i also had a friend who uh who died young, I mean, who died in his early 40s of a heart attack, is a big supporter of mine, a friend of mine from Daily News, left a young family. Uh, so I named a character, his name was Theo Cavanis, and I named the character Cavanis Th- uh, Thorne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after him. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, I for Old Man Hawkeye, I named, well, I, I had my daughter, literally, like, I had her sign something which she didn't look at for the likeness <laughs> waiver, and I put her in, and her favorite character at the time was Kate Bishop. So that was like, um, yeah, nice little, little thing. <laughs> um, but then uh, Ed, Ed Brisson was doing uh, Avengers of the Wasteland. And he was, you know, asking me for information. I said, I have just one favor. Like, can you not kill off this character? Because that would be kind of like, uh, I think a little traumatic. So it's like, I'm glad you told me because I was going to have a scene where like Doom just bombed that settlement and like basically, you know, only Kate Bishop survives. So I was like, okay, having read your work, I knew that was a possibility. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so anyway, uh, she is as far as I know, still running around the wastelands. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of a, a special one. And uh, I had for her birthday, uh, last birthday or two birthdays ago, I had a uh, custom action figure made. Uh, and the guy actually put it on like a piece of of a tower, and she's stabbing a venom in the eye with a torch. So it's like this whole oh. thing. Um, I yeah, really so like anyway. that. This is really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, I, uh, I I I definitely want to do more of those. But the thing is, like, you also have to get the artist to do it, mm-hmm. and there are all these legal considerations. So like, I I'm gonna pick my spots. It's not something I can do for everybody. Um, I think the naming thing is just easier. And if I if I jam two names together, there's less of a legal issue. Uh, <laughs> so it's not like, it's not taking someone's name and then potentially, yeah. but I mean, everyone knows it's like good natured and it's meant well and, you know, yeah. Yeah. I will that say, was... oh, Go ahead. my sister, uh, I told her, cause she reads a lot of Marvel comics and I was like, oh, I'm interviewing um, Ethan Sachs. Like, I, I think he did like an old man Hawkeye series. Have you read that one? And she really likes 
that series. So oh, she's cool. a very, she's also a very big Kate Bishop fan. Oh, okay, yeah. So I was yeah that was a that was a fun cameo to write. And I, what I love about their relationship is certainly by then, but even now, even though Kate is like theoretically the protege, but she's really the adult. That, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I like that dynamic, and especially like you know, forty five years later it's even worse where he's, he's still 15 emotionally. And now, you know, she's whatever 60, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, it, it, it worked out. Um, moving back into more Star Wars realm, what's one Star Wars project or title currently running right now that you would like to participate in? Ooh, um, I, I mean, I would love I mean, I definitely am a comic person. So like, I think that moving behind me is a cat, by the way, this is not like, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that, what that looked like, if it's like some demon thing, or <laughs> horror movie. Um, so, you know, there are certain other comics I would love to do in different timelines. Um, I really enjoyed writing Mace. I'd love to eventually have a crack at that era of, or, maybe even a little younger pre-Phantom Menace era of Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to kind of, you know, when they were sort of in their prime, that mm-hmm. group of Jedi, uh, you know, maybe even before Obi-Wan, where before Obi-Wan was a Padawan, like you know, sort of the just coming of age or whatever of that, of that group of Jedi that was just so great. So I don't know, just there's so many I would like to do. Um, <laughs> You know, but I also, I fortunately, because it's an ongoing, I get to still write Bounty Hunters because I love, I love the, um, you know, Tonga's team uh, and I'd like to keep them together as long as possible. And, and fortunately, one of the great things about the Star Wars line is it's, it's fairly compact. So, you know, I know they're not going to pull Bosk for, for, you know, another team book somewhere like it's it's kind of I have I have a lot of freedom I think in that in that way so uh I, I like this team I think they're getting their they're getting the rhythm you know I really like them a lot I <laughs> to, to put it very plainly uh, so kind of starting off of that what is your dream just any franchise, creator-owned, Marvel, DC, anything. What's your dream project to write? So I actually have a dream project. Um, it is a YA adult horror that uh, I would co-write. I have an, an artist, I have everything lined up. We had an offer for a deal, which we had to walk away from. So I'm still trying to find a home for it. It's it's something very, very personal. Um, it it touches on um, some like it's a horror book with a supernatural element, but it's also very much grounded in mental health struggles and uh, and sort of finding your way through them, kind of thing. So it is uh, it's definitely like a personal family connection to it. So like I I would love to. It's it's called Spooked. Uh, so if you ever see it, that means I actually was able to get it made. So that is my dream project, uh, which one day. But in the meantime, I'm plugging away on some fun stuff. So yeah, I feel like that was a uh, conversation stopper. Or... 
All good. Um, so if you could have any aspect of your Star Wars stories appear in live action, what would it be and why? I'm very interested in this because we yeah. have, we basically I, have like a bounty love... hunter show coming out right now in, in yeah. Mando. And I just want to know if you want to see like anyone appear in there. I mean, I would love to see Tonga Mosha appear somewhere. Oh in my God. Whether like, uh, especially because I was, I, I got them into Halcyon Legacy. So you know that they survived past return of the jedi at the very least mm-hmm. uh, it, and in part i was like so so there is um there is a school of thought and i totally understand it where you don't want to if there's a character that you don't know from the movies or tv shows that has survived through this thing it shouldn't be in anything after that and the reason why is because then you ruin the suspense of whether or not they survive right that is a, a school of thought that a lot of people behind the scenes have and i totally understand that right because like okay take these bounty hunters we don't know what happened to zuckus and for you know for lom right mm-hmm. i don't believe like we know dengar survives um like most roaches after uh <laughs> after yeah. nuclear armageddon we know um <laughs> bosk was at the very least was uh at jabba's palette like taking out the you know older stories and things like that but you know certainly like canon oh there okay there we go yay i was like was i, I that boring that you just like, i can't <laughs> yeah, yeah, i gotta go <laughs> no you were, sl- you were slandering dengar you're fine i know and that, no i was slandering dengar she's like i refuse to be a party to this and she hit it like there was an ejector button you could see like the the trails of exhaust from your ejector seat just flying into <laughs> into space. Again, I'm not sure if you're frozen or you're just very good. I think she might be frozen again. I think holding. she might be frozen again, yeah. Okay. <laughs> or she's very good at holding. She moved. Okay. <laughs> I can't see you guys. Okay, there we go. Okay. okay. <laughs> and that... that is the meaning of life, but I can never repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you miss that, Aiden? Sorry, that was the meaning of life. Um, no, so anyway, I would love to, see, I would love to see them in some sort of uh, live action something or, yeah, even if it's like a cameo. I just I, really like them. I like their relationship to each other. I like that, like, mm-hmm. um, they're basically just like the ideal relationship, both personally and professionally where you just they can count on each other it's not even a it's just like they always have each other's back period like yeah you know what I mean and so that's I kind of just I just really like them but I I try not to write it like too sentimental and because Bounty Hunters is not necessarily the most sentimental book and usually when that happens it means something bad is going to happen i'm just you know <laughs> setting up something bad by having a moment a tender moment and then it's like you you mean the entirety of of number seven yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well the origin of okay the origin of number seven was like there was some talk about bringing yura in as like his love interest i'm like so she was just waiting on this planet for years for him to like get his act together that really like, makes if, sense i was like if if she's a strong character, you know, like, no, she moved on. Like, she got tired of waiting and she moved on. She has her own life. She's not, her life is not existing around him. And then he realizes he waited too long. 
And so, yeah. So then I could break his heart a little bit before we ripped it out. Um. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I... That was my favorite issue with 17 to write so far. Oh, I can tell. <laughs> I I have to like specifically set time away. Like I can only read, I can't read comics in public, especially Bounty Hunters. But when I was doing my Bounty Hunters reread for our War of the Bounty Hunters arc, I had to like wait until I was home. So at like at night, so I could kind of like emotionally crumple a yeah. little bit when I was, when I was reading it. <laughs> I have the pictures of her crying from when she was yeah, there, 17. There's there's pictorial evidence. Yes. Um is. and I was doing my my I've lost count of how many rereads I've done, but I was doing my Bounty Hunters reread like earlier in the summer. And I I had to like set a night apart just to read seven. And I it took me like an hour to get through mm-hmm. just the issue because yeah <laughs> um uh, i'll be interested to see how uh, actually specifically issue 30 lands with you uh oh good lord <laughs> yeah 31 became 30 and 31 and 31 uh, is is you got some hard stuff but i think 30 will be interesting to see how that lands especially because it's first so <laughs> and here's the thing i have a roommate at school i i usually read the comics like in my car on the way to the comic book store um but i take the bus to the comic book store so i can't necessarily do that and i'm pretty sure that my roommate is probably gonna think i'm insane (laughs) so (laughs) i hope she's like out at classes or something when Mm. i read that because i'm i'm very concerned for my reaction as well Well, i i actually (laughs) i have a track record of not killing that many main characters (laughs) Mm-hmm. um like i guess you could make the case for nakano lash but that was actually kind of like an important death i think yeah um and uh but other than that not really but i okay. i do play a little fast and loose with seeming like like setting up either to look like i did or like i'm about to so um so far i have not actually so far, so far being the yeah. operative I, there. I feel like <laughs> yeah I feel like there there's a lot of emotional you know things you can do to to, to both uh torture the audience a little bit but also the characters yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I want I want the victories to feel really good because they've gone through so much you know mm-hmm. yeah and they they do feel that way although i am a very pessimistic person and like to focus on the bad (laughs) that's that's just who i am um so our final question for you is do you have any plans to travel to london for star wars celebration in 2023 and will you be in attendance of the hashtag balance nation meetup if you are uh Yes to the second one and probably to the first one, which I realize is the weird order to give it to. I'm planning on it so far. Um, I have not, I've not talked to Lucasfilm and Marvel, but I probably, you know, and, and like I would have to make sure that I could get in on their blocks of hotels and stuff because I think it gets a little uh, hard otherwise. Uh, but I'm definitely planning on it. Um, 
I basically, uh, I turn 50 next year. And like, so this would be my birthday present to myself. I have friends out there and stuff. So uh, I, I would want to do that, I think. Um, but it's not set yet. So I would say 90% sure, yes. I know it's like an anticlimactic thing. It's, like, <laughs> it's not even like an announcement, like, yes, I'll be there. Or, we'll see. So I will, I will probably be there. And I would definitely be up for that. I, I really appreciate the fandom. Um, I'm enjoying myself on social media, interacting with, with you and everyone. Um, and I would like to point out like all those like cryptic uh, memes and things like that. They're mostly true when you think about it. Like someone or... There was a major death in 26. And it, if you're going to speculate that it might be Zuckus or something else, I can't help that. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but there, was, there was, I think, a traumatic death. Um, and, and that actually, that, yeah. death was, that death was my gift to Paolo. <laughs> because he hated drawing the Nexu because of the size scale and like having to work it in, in these like cramped spaces and all this kind of thing. And it was really a hassle. And, you know, also from a storytelling point of view, it was like basically having a weapon of mass destruction. Cause every time the Nexu, the Nexu <laughs> saved their lives, like at least twice. Um, and so it was like, okay, well we can't keep, like, there's no storytelling, you know, we don't want the Nexu to basically be like Superman in the Justice League where it's just like, you know, basically does all the heavy lifting and then like, you know, the rest of the team is sort of saved by, uh, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, so like basically that was our, uh, that's why I did it. But I also, I also feel like it's a very important thing for, for not only for Losha, um, who carries a lot of feeling of guilt because she wasn't strong enough to in her mind to take Bakora was a much more seasoned fighter by herself and so she you know she's a very um you know she loved the Nexu she loved her ball and and uh, then you have Bakora who like her one Achilles heel is that she loves animals more than every other every sentient species so that really affects her too so that's gonna play play out I think so it wasn't just like a token sensationalistic thing I was but gonna also, say Go ahead. <laughs> no, so, but it was also a gift for Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm very excited to see where Vukora's kind of arc takes her in this next kind of batch. I don't know if you can talk. No, you probably can't talk about that at all. I, I but... can't, but uh, I think Vukora is a perfect example of a character that almost changes on their own. Like like I said, I thank Alyssa for making Vukora cool enough that like had a life beyond, you know, sort of a, a a villain that was a sort of a plot means to an end kind of thing to mm -hmm. her own character. And then especially with War of the Bounty Hunters where like we just kept having fun exploring. And I just, I really like this idea of, you know, she's been this loyal soldier, was not recognized. She carved her own way, blood and, you know, all that kind of stuff to the top and still is not necessarily respected uh you know i just i just like and also like all these characters have some severe trauma issues so uh getting to explore some of that yeah very excited Ex except Go ahead. Bosk. Bosk has no trauma <laughs> Bosk. Bosk, Bosk just, just Bosk. exists Bosk. Yes. 
Bosk just is a just, lizard. Yeah, just a lizard guy just making yeah. his way. Even, I would, even Dengar has some issues, but like, yeah, Bosk Dengar is has many issues. Dengar has a ton of his issues. Main, his main issue is his face. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the funny part of that is the original character that I wanted to do for that first arc was Hondo, but yeah. I can't remember why we couldn't use him, and so I was like, oh, maybe Dengar. But I was, <laughs> no one liked Dengar at the time. So it's like, oh no, Dengar. Nobody does. It's, no. it's like I picked the last kid for for uh, dodgeball in gym class. You know, it's like. <laughs> so so it's like oh i get dengar great <laughs> charles you have like luke and han not well not han but like lando and all these cool characters and i have dengar Dengar. <laughs> that'll sell it ten thousand books all the dengar fans <laughs> oh i i love the dengar slander i knew it was coming but I, I see you're biting your tongue, Liv. I mm, I don't have a single nice thing to say. <laughs> well, I put I put in I literally put in the the Tasu beatdown um, because I was like, all right, you've endured a lot in this issue, <laughs> so uh, this is going to be my gift to people just to to have a little bit of release. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I needed I needed something. So I was like, all right. Well, everyone loves a good. He, he gets punched in the face an awful lot. Good. Good. <laughs> I was I was pumping my fist. I was cheering in my car when I was reading that part of the issue. I was very happy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, that's all of our questions we have for you. But we do have some listener questions that people were kind enough to send in. Um. The first question comes from Nina at Vernestra Rowe on Twitter. She asks, how do you pronounce Cadelia? Or- Cadelia, that's how I okay. <laughs> she, yeah. she thinks it's Catalia for some reason. I mean, <laughs> sure, you know, it's translated from an alien language anyway, so why not? But it, I pronounce it Cadelia. Okay. Uh, that's- but, you know, the asterisk is for a long time, I didn't pronounce balance correctly. So uh I someone had told me very early on that it was like Valance and I went with that and then Jason Fry who named the character Baylor um said no he's named after who shot Liberty you know Valance. Liberty Valance and I was like how could I not have known that I've seen the movie <laughs> I was a movie guy how could I not have put two and two together and it was because someone had told me the wrong information in the beginning so uh <laughs> so I was going on interviews and saying it as if I was a you know fluent French um, <laughs> writer. So yeah, so anyway, uh, Cadelia is the answer. Okay. I take way too long to answer the simplest questions. No, <laughs> Go ahead. We, we are the exact same way. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the next question comes from Ella at Cheriel on Twitter. And she asks, how does it feel to be the, vo- the father of hashtag balance nation? Question mark. I would argue that all of you are the parents of Balance Nation. And uh, I don't know that I'm, you know, direct as directly involved, but I appreciate it so much. Like it, it does mean a lot to me that uh, the engagement, the, the excitement, you know, all of it. Because it's, it's very, so a lot of times as a writer, especially as a journalist, you have no idea how something you've written has been received, right? And I, I get it in real time <laughs> for good and bad. Um, so it is, it is, 
yeah, it's it's a it's a fun it's a fun development, and I do appreciate it. But I don't think I'm the father of it. I mean, maybe in the in the Maury sense where you have to do like the <laughs> proverbial uh, paternity test. Like you are the father of it. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. That was a good time to cut out again because I was just rambling. So it's like if you were gonna parachute out of there, that was the right time. Uh, yeah. So that's my answer. Well, my little lore drop about. <laughs> little lore drop about me my dog i have an extender plugged into the wall because as i'm sure you've seen the wi-fi sucks in my house so mm -hmm. sometimes what he started doing is he'll like pull it off the wall and start running around with it <laughs> so i had that wasn't happening but it's not so we're we're good now the dog is in the clear um, i yeah uh, for now he also likes to run out of the house and he broke a mirror yesterday so seven years oh. of bad luck for him unfortunately <laughs> yeah uh, it's only one year for him um, that's so true <laughs> if you're gonna break a mirror be a dog be a dog so true. <laughs> emily's on to something she's connected the dots they're connected <laughs> Did, did I did I stop again? You cut it. You out of did, the but yeah. I'm intrigued as to what dots were connected. <laughs> That's the part where we we lost you. Oh, she's frozen again. Where is she? Uh, I'm telling you, half the time she's Lord faking. Me knows. <laughs> this is I the episode that her time. her Wi-Fi has struggled the most. This episode of any episode we've ever done, and of it's, course, it's I, this I, one. I bored, I bored her Wi-Fi. It happened. <laughs> no, no. It's like AI. It's like, oh my god, this sounds terrible. <laughs> Why can't you just get Greg on the show instead of Ethan? No. <laughs> I think she is frozen. She's she's yeah. very either that or she's yeah. really good. She's committed to the bit. She's really committed to the bit. Oh my god. <laughs> my question for Ethan to be confrontational. Okay. Why don't you follow me back on Twitter? You follow oh, Liv and Hay? No. No, I totally would. I, I'm very much like on Twitter because I don't have it very well organized. So like whatever shows up first. All right, let me do it right now. What's your hashtag? It's oh, wait, you, can't, you can't see my screen, right? Because I have a script. No. no. <laughs> it's a right. Hold on. What is your? Uh, it's underscore Stardust M. Sorry. Wait, Stardust M? Yes. It should be or underscore Stardust M. I don't know. It should come up. I have a Cassian yeah. profile pic of that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not seeing you, but uh, Stardust M. Yeah, underscore. Oh, oh yes. Twitter, I think. Okay, I do there see you. Waiting for Andor. Yes. Okay, I'm following you now. That was Thank a complete you. oversight. Or not even oversight <laughs> because that would imply that I have sight in this sort of. I literally like, and that's why often I'm answering random things. Because for, for whatever reason, <laughs> Valence Nation keeps showing up at the top of my feed overall, like the political <laughs> stuff I follow and things like that. So whatever pops to the top when I'm on, I'm like, oh, I'll answer that. You know? Ethan so, has like, no idea what's going on politically, but he can tell you the latest yes. uh, Valence Pickles joke. <laughs> yes, I can. I know all about the pickles and the uh, ranch dressing, which I cannot, I, uh, I cannot endorse. You don't like ranch? 
I've I've rendered Hayden speechless. Yeah. <laughs> He's so upset about the ranch hey. dressing. Well, let me say Can one thing to you, Hayden. Oh, she's back. We're, 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 I was gonna say something like, I can't hear a thing if, if you don't, if you don't say like, uh, defend ranch dressing now or never eat it again, or so I was gonna say something like that because you were frozen, and then you pop back up as if you knew, as if the, the technology knew that I was gonna put the definitive. Not the ranch slander. Can you guys hear me? Sorry. Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. The whole ranch thing go. started. Okay. Was uh, since you were gone, I followed him, who I apparently did not follow before, which was total oversight. Okay. <laughs> well, I just, I didn't know I wasn't following because I have seen, I think I've even responded from time to time, but maybe it's because someone yeah. else. Okay. So yeah, Probably. I just assumed. I'm always under usually hairless tweets too. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I, I, like, I didn't pay attention to who I was following or wasn't. It's just like when those things pop up, I answer them. Okay. I think... I think we're back now. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next question comes from Isabella at Isabella Craft on Twitter. Um, and they ask, has there been any particular character within the series, probably bounty hunters, that you found yourself growing surprisingly attached to? And in additional information, they asked, or they said, thank him for bringing Manaru into canon. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, certain characters... Like, I'm not going to count ones that Paolo and I created, because I think that'd be, like, an easy one to, to say. Uh, so, accepting them. I think the Zuckus for LOM relationship has really been a pleasant surprise, because if you they changed a lot since uh, 6 and 7, when they were these very, like, mysterious, you know, um, unstoppable force, almost, that they were, like, three steps ahead of you, kind of thing. And now they're a little goofier, or especially Zuckus. Um, so it kind of evolved over time. <laughs> but I like that. Uh, I like their relationship. There is a Zuckus centric issue coming up because uh, occasionally I just like to do these like <laughs> solo issues. Like there was a Boss solo issue and a Dengar solo issue, and so they'll be like, "It's not. It's not a solo issue in that no one else is there, but it's very much, and it, it gives actually like an origin story for him, which." I can't believe Lucasfilm is allowing me to do. Um, you just made Liv's entire life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and he and because it's an origin story, he probably lives to the end of the issue. Yeah. I just that's all I need. Oh my god, uh, baby Zuckus. <laughs> li- literally, baby, baby Zuckus. Oh, uh, I have. She's baby having Zuckus. a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, Suddenly, so, uh, Liv becomes a, a baby Yoda hater because we have baby a baby Yoda puncher. The, the caveat is that it's issue thirty-two. It's issue thirty-two, so oh uh, we're we're assuming God. that if it's an origin story and like a flashback, we're not telling it at the funeral of Zuckus or something. You know, so who knows? Thirty-one. Okay. Sorry, That's I have good. to get one of those in there. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I would say uh, Zuckus uh, is my character that um, I surprisingly grown to love telling the story. Um, next we have Alex at Love and Thunders on Twitter. 
Twitter. They ask, hi, Ethan, I was just wondering what your favorite thing about Nico Minoru is and what your favorite part about writing her character in Midnight Suns is. Also, could we possibly expect a Carolina Dean slash Dinoru mention at all? Um, I don't know how much I, of that you can talk about. <laughs> I can't talk very much about it. I will say this is very much Nico and not a runaway story per se, like sort of pulled out from runaways. I think what I like most about Nico is that um, it's this sort of, I, I, I love the, the whole runaways conceit of being of this, like you have this awful legacy, but you're working to be your own person. And I think that's especially true with her, uh, with the, you know, the the parents, her parents being, you know, these fairly horrible sorcerers and just finding your own way, like this legacy thing, which I, I love. So that's- I know I, that's- I know I've said nothing about the series itself, but that's by design. <laughs> nothing happens one way or the other at all. <laughs> I know no they're going to be very me. happy no about that because that's exactly why <laughs> they're going to be very happy about that that's probably like the main reason why they like Dean or yeah or sorry Nico so much mm. um, this question comes from Caleb at triple underscore and n underscore is underscore k on twitter um, was the Bounty Hunter storyline always intended to intersect with the Crimson Dawn stuff? And how did that storyline come together with all the other authors? Well, so that is, uh, so not originally. Um, well, actually, I should say when Bounty Hunter started, when when those books started, Charles already had a, a plan with, with Boba Fett losing the Carbonite. And the rest of the story was so, sort of still being worked on. Um, but these and this is a credit to the editors and the other writers uh for star wars the star wars line we every week every single week we spend an hour and a half two hours talking um and coming up with these things together so it became so integrated uh you know in each differently like you know in the case of bounty hunters it's so funny because all the other books they were all together at this big auction and of course, like Valance and Dengar are late. <laughs> so they miss the whole thing and they, they show up at the end. So literally the whole <laughs> Bounty Hunters arc is them trying get to get to the same place where all the other books were by the second issue of that time. <laughs> so they, they just took like three extra issues to get there. Um, so yeah, but that's that's like them, so like them. Uh, but yeah, so we work together uh, so much. And like, there are certain things like I you know, had an idea what I wanted to do with the Cordelia storyline and the sort of the underworld war. And then you had, you know, Crimson Dawn coming in and sort of changing the status quo. And then Charles absorbs uh, a good chunk of that story and it, it's going to go in some interesting places. And, and uh, that was great. So then it became like, wow, we look smarter because all this stuff is going to pay pay off but it isn't necessarily where it was going to pay off originally it just evolved it, it really did just naturally from our conversations and stuff it's just like a really interesting process uh but also like Cadelia I was going to have with Valance for a longer stretch than two issues but then Grogu came <laughs> and uh 
And we were like, okay, well, we don't want to do like too similar a storyline. So uh, I, I put her where she was supposed to be a little earlier than originally intended because it, it just didn't want to seem like, okay, we're just, we're just borrowing the same storyline or whatever. You just get Hayden another reason to punt Baby Yoda. Yeah. Just, just so you know. Yes. Cadelia's misery. Well, I, I think she'd be more miserable like on the run with Valance than like eating nice food with Crimson Dawn. So I think she I think it turned out nicely for her. <laughs> I've been trying to tell Hay, but uh, she won't hear it. No. I don't understand how you can like ranch dressing but hate baby Yoda. I just I don't understand. <laughs> now she's either frozen or stunned. I can't Listen, now we don't know. <laughs> He is my he's my enemy. He what did he baby. ever do to you? I, don't he's I he exists. He's Aww, just a baby. So cute. Just a- Get that thing out of here. Oh, so he's wearing healthy. overalls. <laughs> I don't care. Uh those overalls are not canon. Those oh my overalls god. Are no. Not canon. They're canon in my heart. <laughs> those are not canon overalls. Those are non-canonical overalls. <laughs> non-canonical. <laughs> Until until Mando Their season Legends three comes out, and then you'll see <laughs> when Din finally starts to get Grogu in a little new wardrobe. <laughs> you'll all see. He wears overalls. <laughs> he wears overalls with his chainmail over it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in that case, it'd be the overalls that protect him rather than. Yeah. The, uh, oh yeah. Beskar overalls is a concept. I, I, I wouldn't mind Beskar overalls, though. Yeah. I'm going to need you um, all to sign waivers in case I use that in a future issue <laughs> of Bounty Hunter. Beskar overalls. Oh, my God. <laughs> did she freeze again? I think yeah. she did. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's hard to tell, though. I know. I'm telling you, the last one is going to be her doing the bit. Yeah. <laughs> attention <laughs> we should all we should all like freeze in different i we're we're struggling in this household tonight but honestly you know. when don't i struggle <laughs> yeah there's a whole account my setup. i'm gonna Wonder submit who- not this isn't a tweet but just a moment of hayes wi-fi struggles to get through ethan interview <laughs> i think she's frozen again but i don't know oh my god <laughs> I swear don't hear me. Never... <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the last question was uh the Crimson Dawn, Crimson Rain question. Like if we it was always the intention to interweave, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think I answered that sort of mm-hmm. kind of mediocre. Yeah. I uh, maybe I can I yeah, I was, I was like, gonna say, do you do you want me to I was like questions, hey? Yeah, I was like maybe hey or Liver, I could get the form up yeah. just so we can read them through. I because yeah. I have the form up already. Okay, yeah, so why don't we hit it over to yeah. Yeah. The cool thing about that question is like I can make up whatever answer and then yeah. like, exactly. just answering the question. <laughs> okay, so that question was from Cass at Quill Patrol on Twitter. And they asked, relevant to Valance and many other characters slash elements you must encounter when writing Star Wars comics, what is your take on Legends and how it can impact canon? So, um, you know, obviously canon is very specific. 
but I would I would remind people that Legends was actually never really canon, uh, just because George Lucas was very, very protective of the central movies and then eventually uh, Clone Wars, and so a lot of what we you know a, a lot of Legends there are a lot of incredible Legend stories, but they, it isn't a gift or it isn't a give me that they are destined for canon again or things like that. So I like to find bits and pieces that I can put in, like Manaru is originally from a uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunter story. Um, but we also do mine a lot of uh, the old Marvel run being Marvel. <laughs> uh, so for example, Crimson Jack is in uh, Goofy Pirate. Although mercifully we got rid of his thong because like he was uh, this redheaded bearded pirate like running around in a thong in the 70s which maybe it was cooler in the 70s but it was like <laughs> my editor was like you've got to use crimson jack i was like i'll do it on one condition <laughs> like it needs a costume change so uh but they're like valance is a uh you know character that was from the marvel run um you know jackson uh previously so like all these characters are many of them can make comebacks you know, I think it gets a little bit in a gray area if other companies were the ones who created them. Like, I don't know that we would, and I, I'm not privy to any information, but I just don't think like we'd ever like take a dark horse originated character probably. But who knows? I don't know. Maybe. Death Stick is a character that was a video game character. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I fell in love with the, uh, just the look and the idea that this is a uh, an offspring of a you know of a night sister running around and a ninja and an and a, like an underworld assassin and all these things and I was looking for a character that I I felt like could convincingly beat the crap out of Valance and Dengar at the same time. Uh, the Dengar part of it was less of a concern, but like the uh, Valance part of it, <laughs> like it, need, it needed to be somebody like like convincing physically. So. I was like, can we use this character? And we got the green light. And so, yeah. The girl boss. She yeah. girl bossed her way into... I, I would I would love to see Deathstick, you know, elsewhere in these stories. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. Next question is from Red um, at Red the Fet on Twitter. They ask, was there anyone you based your version of that of Valance off of? In other words, did anyone inspire you to write Valance the way you did? Um, you know, there are certain, there are certain bits where like, uh, I might've been like a little bit inspired, but I, I don't know that there was any one thing. It, it just like really, as I said before, like what clicked for me was this idea of him trying to rebuild himself inside as he was, rebuilt outside uh, and it just being a work in progress that literally lasts like I don't know how many issues we'll have but you know whatever it is like I, I, I want that to be an ongoing thing um, so that I'm just trying to think like I'm, I'm sure it was inspired by various things like definitely Clint Eastwood in Un- The Unforgiven um, the sort of reluctant um, you know aging uh, you know, gunslinger kind of forced to to fight some more. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to remember originally on like there there were probably things that influenced me that I can't think of off the top of my head, but that was definitely like 
more of a thematic thing. All right, let's see. So the next one is from Savdi um, at Andorisms on Twitter. And they ask, do you find writing for Star Wars intimidating? And has it ever sometimes just randomly hit you that you write for Star Wars? As in, is it difficult to believe? I would say all the time. Um, I'm much less intimidated by, like probably the eight page Mace Windu story was the most intimidating because it's my first one. I think the benefit I have with Bounty Hunters is these are characters that just like, I'm not really stepping on major canon issues, uh, you know, which also gives me a like tremendous freedom. Um, also making it more of an ensemble book has been really freeing too, because like the biggest problem I had starting is um, the first arc, Valance uh, was, uh, you know, he, he doesn't talk that much. So you have to put someone with him. That's why Dengar was there for so long. And the first few issues, it was a droid because I, I just needed him to talk. And he's not just, he's not, you know, it has to be pulled out of him. So uh, otherwise it's kind of boring just like watching him just sort of mope or his way through the galaxy. So, so I, uh, but then it was funny because then I saw Greg was doing something similar with Vader where Vader had a droid. So it's like, okay, we have to get rid of this droid. So we killed, we destroyed the droid in, in issue three. Uh, and then he was with Tonga for a bit. Um, and then with Cordelia, and then with Dengar. <laughs> so uh, at every stage, I kind of felt like he needed, you know, somebody to sort of bring the exposition out of him without it. Like just was not a talkative person. So it's just, he's got so much going on in the inside, uh, especially because there's all that space without a heart. That's the, I'm sorry, it keeps coming back to that. Uh, yeah, so, so anyway. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, so sorry, my cats are like acting weird. You hear any like weird noises? Um, so yeah, so uh, it was not intimidated at all, though, just because I have so much extra freedom with these characters that are, um, you know, they're important characters, but they're not. You know, I wonder too because I we didn't know Book of Boba Fett was coming out when we started, but if Boba Fett was a major character in this series that I wonder how different that would have been because then his backstory was all like suddenly set whereas a lot of these characters are either enigmatic or I'm able to to tell stories about the backstories which you can't really do necessarily with some of the more iconic characters I think like Afra and Bounty Hunters there's a lot there's a lot of freedom that comes with those books mm -hmm. Yeah. We definitely talked about that during our War of the Bounty Hunters episode and how they were able to kind of like exist in their own little thing. Um, not separate from the auction, but like have their own shebang going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just part of the fun too. I mean, everyone is having fun. I mean, Greg is mm -hmm. having fun writing Darth Vader and it's just a credible feat of engineering that he can find new ground with this iconic character um, and have these new surprises and, and actually tell emotional stories where this, this character is like, talks even less than balance. So, sorry, these cats are. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's been, yeah, it's been not that intimidating at all, actually. So the next question is um, possibly the most important question. It comes from Tommy McCool with the very <laughs> real Twitter handle of at DroopyFan420. And he asks, 
do you have any plans to add Droopy McCool to your Bounty Hunter series? <laughs> well, because I'm avoiding these iconic characters um, with, <laughs> with, you know, set backstories, I'm waiting. I kind of feel like only like a Neil Gaiman or, you know, just somebody of that level could tell that Droopy McCool story. I would not, I, I don't feel comfortable. Um, Where's you know, waiting in those deep in story those, about Droopy McCool? <laughs> wait, waiting in those deep, deep emotional waters. I don't think I, maybe in a few years, if I, if I train hard as a writer, I'll feel comfortable. <laughs> but for now, I think I would avoid Droopy. That's completely understandable. <laughs> Neil and Ethan collab on a Derby McCool series. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next question comes from Matt um, on Twitter at Blit Bardota. Um, his question is, what was your first experience with Balance? Did you read his appearances in the 70s? Which I think we already kind of covered. Yes, I, I did. But again, it was not like a definitive character in my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, when when it was first offered to me, I was like, oh yeah. It wasn't like, yes, balance, you know. <laughs> I've been waiting. I mean, it was yes, bounty hunters, but it wasn't, <laughs> you know, that's And the next question comes from Dan at S Centralized on Twitter. He says, hi, Ethan, I love your work so much. It's unreal. Thank you so much for fleshing out balance, for fleshing balance out how you have. Thank you Ripping so much. Ripping off balance's flesh, was that? Stop! We can't keep doing this. I've only done it like three or four times over two. Oh, three or four. We can count that on one hand. So we'll let it pass. Yes. For now. For now. Stop. Sorry. The question. I will turn my Wi-Fi off. Pushing out balance. The question was, do you use the Valance Wikipedia page at all when writing Bounty Hunters or the wiki in general? Um, yeah, that's his question. I do use uh, a little bit. Um, I often use it to point me in, in directions. Like, so for example, if I was for Crimson Jack, I looked at it first and then I would find some of, you know, the footnotes, like the original issues so like they could go back and, you know, I have a Marvel Limited and um, I have a whole shelf full of, uh, full of, uh, I don't know if this can be seen, but like full of like reference books All and things like that. Books, yeah. Yeah. So like, um, you know, all this kind of stuff, by the way, this is, uh, not a like MAGA American flag. <laughs> it's, a, it's a progressive liberal one. Just, just in case, I don't know what it looked like on Zoom, but just to be clear. <laughs> like um uh yeah so anyway so i i do often start there it is the greatest single resource um but so between that between my disney plus account between these reference books between my marvel unlimited and i have like a couple of shelves in the other room of uh novels um so like a lot of a lot of my job is like doing research on things i try to get a lot of like easter eggs or connections uh, in this book, so uh, you'll often find like a certain band playing, or you know, certain references that people make, or you know, even like the chop shop where uh, Dengar takes the wounded balance in that arc. That was in a in a 
I, I want to say it was in like Tales of uh, Black Spire, like one of the the virtual games. IG88 sort of shot it up. So there was like a little <laughs> reference, like the person got it, um, uh, got it cheap after uh, an assassin droid like shot up the previous owner or something. So it was like all these things have these little tendrils. Uh, so in order to do that, I have to do a lot of research because my memory is like so-so. <laughs> So the next question comes from Harrison at Swing and Spidey on Twitter, and they ask uh, if you could have any actor play live action balance, who would you choose? Oh, we've I had conversations about this, choose, <laughs> but I actually and I joked about someone else. I, I actually have someone that I would cast if given the thing, and that would be Carl Urban. Um, oh, uh, for several reasons. Several yeah. reasons. Like one, I think he has the look that he could pull it off. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a sort of rugged. Because I, I think I totally. I think Henry Cavill can do anything. However, I think he's a little too pretty for like. <laughs> I think you need somebody who looks like they've been through a little bit more misfortune. Uh, <laughs> you know, lining lining their face. Um, he also six one uh yeah i know he can do it physically i just think he, i just think uh i i think he's an underrated actor uh interviewed him a few times back in the day has a great sense of humor but he's also like we've seen um judge dread where he could sort of play a, a quieter character um but also when brought to anger and balance has some of these quippy lines like he could do that as well so that that would be my answer carl urban I'll be honest, I really didn't think about Carl Urban. And yeah, the dots connected. I see that totally. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is like, when would this movie be set? Because if it's closer to like solo and their early years, then you'd want a younger actor. But if it's more in the original trilogy time, then I would say Carl Urban. I'm, I'm still clowning. I'm still gunning for him to show up in Mando. I don't know how, mm -hmm. but please like Liv and Emily can tell you like when Book of Boba Fett was coming out every week balance appearance let's go let's go and I, yeah. was, I was racking up my cameo pool and he was on it every single week and he did not show up <laughs> yeah I mean I, I honestly don't know I'm not just like you know hiding it or whatever so all right the next question is from uh Heli at Fogia writes on Twitter and they say uh, what was the funniest slash most enjoyable Valance scene you've ever written? Hmm. I mean, I, this is going to get some groans, but I, I think the funniest scene that I ever wrote was in issue 17 when it looks like Zuckus is going to save him oh. or catch him. And then his arm is is ripped off and and you, you see that Vader is basically pulled him, pulled him in. I just, I just... We set it up so much, and I, I think I showed Hayden this at celebration where yeah, the the notes my, my notes for for Paolo where I showed him the the Michelangelo yeah. uh, you know Adam and God <laughs> thing. It was like I wanted it to be like that close, but then you and, and then on the page turn you realize he he wasn't nope. safe and it was this whole other thing. So I just it was to me funny, and there's there's a beat in thirty one which is definitely not going to feel funny, but. That was the one because I, I occasionally call Paolo and tell him like, you know, my ideas and we hash out some stuff, and uh, and he's like, oh my god, I can't believe you're gonna do you're gonna you, like they're gonna be so angry at you, <laughs> and I'm like, and then we're gonna do this, and it's like, 
yeah so that was the one where it was like oh my god so yeah so i guess it depends on what your definition of funny is <laughs> no because hey and i were talking last night and we were like how much do you want to bet that when he answers that question he's going to make it something depressing like Terrible. it's, a, it's yeah. actually a depressing scene i think i think if we're talking <laughs> about just pure like more like an actual funny thing i i love uh in the tie-in to war of the bounty hunters where like dengar's like okay i have this contact and uh just let me do the talking and it literally is like one second and balance ruins everything like that yeah. <laughs> and it's basically this whole firefight and everything like that and it's just literally just went in there and ruined everything and the, this the whole dynamic between the two of them where like dengar thinks he's dynamic. the, he's so the slick dengar thinks he's like a <laughs> slick talker and balance has no patience for any of it and and so like that that was kind of fun um i loved when um i think it was that arc <laughs> when balance is like i haven't run out of problems to punch yet <laughs> that's like one of my favorite lines because <laughs> I, for whatever reason, if someone comes to me and they're like, oh, this thing isn't working for me, my first reaction is always to be like, punch it. <laughs> so like, balance is just like me for real. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, next question comes from Jay at uh, Enfys and Ember on Twitter. Um, and he asked, I was wondering if there are any scrap storylines or significant changes throughout the development of Bounty Hunters, and if so, what those were. And well, also, the second part of the question, uh, <laughs> what is your favorite past and upcoming issue of the series and why? I think I know the answer to the second part. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, okay. So I will say uh, uh, for the first part, the Cadelia story changed over time for sure i mean it's still in there it's just the dynamic change and um you know to some extent it evolved too from a valance book to a team book um and i think just as tanga became a bigger character uh i just like the idea eventually of, of sort of having the bounty hunter avengers as well um getting them together so it that was something that was going to happen, but not necessarily then taking over the book. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, there's always been like an A story and a B story, and now, and sometimes a C story. Uh, so now it's it's been a little, uh, but I will say this, like Valance is coming back in a big way, uh, you know, um, in, in the arc that is 29, 30, 31. So yeah, for good and, good and bad. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so those were the ones that I think, you know, so the things changed, but a lot of it is actually surprisingly still holding what was originally planned. Like, you know, just as an example, like where Cadelia's story is going. And um, yeah, so things like that are, but I think we've wrapped up a lot of the stories, uh, like threads that we started in the first issue, uh, which is again, the gift of having an ongoing, um, and uh, as for the favorite issues, definitely 17 is up there. I like 25 because I was like, I get to throw the Knights of Ren against Bounty Hunters. Mm -hmm. And it's such a mismatch on paper uh, <laughs> that just surviving that was like a win, you know? And so, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I love the idea of like Tasso in particular is like so unintimidated uh, that it's like for, you know, as far as Tasso is concerned, it's like this 
cool challenge. So I like those issues a lot. Um, I like the arc a lot of 29 through 31. I, I really liked, I mean, I, I love just about, I liked also the, the Bosque solo issue a lot as well. So I'm, I know it's, I'm, I'm not picking like one or two things, <laughs> but yeah. And I would say like the last page of seven was the most brutal to mm-hmm. write for me. Cause it's like him kind of saying goodbye. I have to say, I think one of my favorite lines in the entire series is one of the lines from Eleven, where Boss goes, "Honor, I prefer, I prefer to fight with a big rock." I always <laughs> I really and guides me, guides me through my daily life. I don't know if it if it was obvious at the time, but the the uh, person he's fighting is also from The Force Awakens, was yeah. in Maz's mm-hmm. castle. This is big game hunter, and I was like. Let's go. Let's throw these characters in. Let's, characters and <laughs> Let's knock them out sit. with a giant rock. They're, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, didn't didn't kill the character because they show up in. Uh, he's got it. He's got to exist. Force Awakens. Yeah. So he can nurse the head injury for thirty years. <laughs> All right. Next question comes from Jacob at Jacob Bush on Twitter, and he asks, um, you recently wrapped up Halcyon Legacy. It has a similar structure overall to the Galaxy's Edge miniseries. How do you feel that you've grown as an author since then, and how has that changed your approach to storytelling? So, uh, you mean between Galaxy's Edge and Halcyon Legacy, I'm assuming. So I'm going to roll with that. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, I think one of the reasons both have the same structure was, like, we wanted to tell stories that were over a range of eras to show that basically these places have a history right but at the same time like I find as a comic book reader if it's like okay issue one is set in the high republic and issue two is set here maybe I like the high republic better and so I'm just going to buy issue one because there's no connectivity right so it's just going to be like an anthology series I didn't want that either so there's always like I like a framing story that goes from issue one to five. So there's a connection with all this. It doesn't feel like these are isolated stories. And I think the Halcyon legacy was kind of even easier on that front because you have this ship that has been around for 275 years that has this incredible history that like, you know, Jedi from the High Republic are literally standing on the same corridors as like, you know, General Leia uh, had her honeymoon. like it's the same place. I mean, that's amazing, you know? So I try to really, really make it feel like that. Um, and uh, so I definitely think it was a little easier by the Halcyon Legacy. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like every time I do something, I learn from my mistakes. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I feel like hopefully I'm a little better each time. And there's some projects where whether it's because you're rushed or there are these external factors, like maybe it didn't land quite the way you hoped, like fully, like you're your own worst critic sometimes, but um, I try to learn a little bit each each time. All right, and then our last listener question comes from Claire at Claire Crease on Twitter. And they ask, what is your favorite thing about Valance's character that makes him enjoyable to write? Uh, so like it is that internal, I, I, it is the perseverance. Yeah. I think, uh, you, you wrote like, what is balance, but, uh, 
a loser persevering. I think you wrote that on Twitter. <laughs> but I think I think he's a perseverer persevering, you know, um, constantly trying to find uh, their way back, um, constantly trying to be a better person, uh, not always succeeding, uh, lots of flaws, <laughs> uh, physical and emotional, um, but just keeps trying. And I just, I like that. And I, I realize I'm the one making it harder. <laughs> well, Paolo and I are the ones making it harder <laughs> for that emotional journey, but uh, the overall trend is in the right direction. You know? So that's what I, I like about. That's what I relate to about the character. Mm -hmm. um, well, that wraps up our questions for this interview, I guess you could say. <laughs> I mean, do you guys have any other questions? Um... Besides, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is always the question. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, that's a permanent. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> would you ever want to write anyone, any of the Rogue One characters? I, I, I would. And I will actually say I have an idea and I would kill to get this done. And that is a younger Jin Erso with Saw uh, being thrown into that life and not being 100% on board with the, the, just this violent, you know, for the cause or whatever, but, but sort of growing up in that. And I, I would kill to, to do that story. One day I want to, whatever it takes. You just made M's entire life. Just I so was. You know. so that, that is. I was gonna I say you just described her Joker. Yeah, like literally, <laughs> that's like, like all I want is more young Jin and Saw content because yeah. we got it with Rome Rising. Then like a little tiny bit of like basically what you were describing in this whole epilogue. So well, Rogue, Rogue One is my so Empire Strikes Back is my all time favorite. Part of it is like when you come into the. So I was seven. Uh, I had never seen anything like it where it's like it ends and the good guys have essentially lost and mm -hmm. it's nothing like now where like you have to wait a week for the next installment of a serialized anything but like I had to wait three years to find out if Han Solo was ever going to come back so um, that that one is so definitive for me and I think it's still a great movie but like the uh, next right below that is Rogue One for me like that is the I love the characters. You saw, like, I, I wove one into uh, Galaxy's Edge. Um, it's tricky, though, because, like, that's a case where, like, with Andor, I wouldn't want to touch Cassian Andor because so much of the backstory is in flux, mm. right? Like, I, and I also don't even know by the end of season two or season three or however long they go, what is the gap between that and Rogue One where you could tell a story? Because obviously you can't tell a sequel to Rogue One. So, like, um, but there are other characters that I think have had adventures. And, yeah, like you know. Chirin and Baze really have it. Uh, yeah. And they have a little bit, but not a lot of their story. Like they've been friends since they were kids. So like a lot of their story is not told. Yeah, no, I mean, these characters are fantastic. I love that movie so much. Are you excited yeah. for Andor then? I am, I am. I think it's going to be really good. You know, I, I, Obviously, I've only seen what you've seen, you know, the two yeah. minutes or whatever. But, but I mean, just also that, uh, you know, the people, you know, Tony Gilroy is like involved because he wrote so much of, of Rogue One. So, mm -hmm. like, I feel like, I, I feel like the tone will be right. I feel like, and it's just a great actor, great character, just everything. 
And I just, I love, obviously, I love the sort of street level, you know, um, yeah. telling like what regular people are going through. Like not everyone is a Jedi who has those powers to survive or in the case of the Jedi not survive. But, um, you know, during this galactic civil war, like there's other people, you know, street level people trying to make their way through. And I, I just, I love that. Yeah. Well, I noticed too, like in your description, I thought it was interesting in your description of balance, how it was like, did sound a little bit like Saw. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, especially with like the cybernetics. and. <laughs> but you know what? The thing with Saw though is Saw went a different way. Like mm-hmm. they're two very opposite. Saw went deeper into revenge and hate and like, um, the opposite of happiness and and i think balance is hasn't lost uh lost himself in the same way mm-hmm. so i think they're sorry the cat is <laughs> just going back and forth the cat by the way hates ventress so i have this oh. ventress action figure which may not yeah she, she keeps getting knocked down so she hasn't oh. fallen off because the cat will jump up and just swat Ventress. <laughs> so, what did Ventress ever do to your cat? I don't know. Maybe it's a sick lightsabers, but like, uh, so yeah. Um, He's do you mad about the ending of Dark Disciple? <laughs> yeah, great book, but yeah, I'm mad about that ending too. But it is a great book. Um. Ethan, do you have anything you want to plug? We always encourage people to plug on our uh, podcast. Sure, I will plug something that is very different from uh, my Star Wars Marvel work, but I'm doing this nonfiction series for NBC News uh, and AWA Studios called Climate Crisis Chronicles, and it's based on interviews with real-life people just all over the world that are uh, kind of in dramatic ways at the front lines of cl- the battle against climate change. So like a firefighter in California... Um, the mayor of Freetown, Sierra Leone, uh, Africa, like uh, this rescue ship that picks up um, uh, people who have basically, because of desperate conditions back in Africa, are trying to make the cross of the Mediterranean in these like rubber boats that are unsafe. And so like they're literally rescuing them. Um, so it's all these different stories. And um, uh, you know, quite proud of it. It's running on NBC News. You can see it for free. Uh, on NBC News Think. And um, yeah, that's, I guess, my short answer. Of course, Bounty Hunters. Uh, yeah. um, I'm definitely looking forward to your um, to your continuing chapters on that. Um, but Say that now. Go- oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I was talking about Climate Crisis, crisis Chronicles, oh, but obviously okay. Bounty Hunters. But- <laughs> <laughs> um. We have our silly little thing on Castle Run Book Club where we kind of like to look at upcoming releases. Um, Next week, we only have Star Wars 27 coming out, which the preview came out. And I'm loving that little arc of the of the Crimson Dawn operatives in Mm -hmm. the Empire and trying to escape the Death Star. I think it's a really cool story that I've personally never seen before. And I'm so entrenched in it. I'm very excited um and then the week of september 14th you have both midnight suns and bounty hunters coming out very excited for that yes um, we call that the end of my career week oh. <laughs> 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 uh 
I, for one, will be first in line at the comic book store to pick them up. Um, and then also the week of September 14th, we have Obi-Wan, which is, I think, it, yeah, it's the conclusion to the miniseries, which we've all been keeping up on. And the covers are just, mwah, mm. I, I love them. I love them. Phil Noto stuff is just, yeah, we're amazing. also big Phil Noto fans here. Um, thank you so much for to Ethan for being on our podcast. Um, My pleasure. You can email us at kesselrunrelaypod at gmail.com if you have any questions or anything like that. Again, our socials are in the description. Um, thank you again for listening and may the force be with you. Oh, I'm the one who- uh, Yeah, I was like, yeah, <laughs> <stop recording. laughs>